what it do. Welcome to the Hooping with Row podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Oliver, aka Row. And on the first edition of the new year, I want to say happy new year to everybody. And mainly happy new year to my guest, my favorite guy to pod with, Matt Moderno from the Believe in Wizards podcast. Matt, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me back. This is always my favorite long conversation because I don't think we've done one of these in under an hour, which is awesome. I can just nerd out with you for as long as we want to go. Yes, yes. You're always you're always fun to have on and you're a person I always go to when I'm like, all right, I need someone fun to talk basketball with. Thought you'd be the perfect person to start off the new year with. And let's jump right into some Wizards talk and then we'll branch out and cover the rest of the NBA. Wizards are two and five. They started 0 and five, had won their last two, uh, a, a clutch win the other night over the, uh, the, I almost said the New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, with Kyrie and KD playing, they won by 1.123 to 122. Before that, they beat a shorthanded Minnesota Timberwolves team. I wasn't that impressed with that win, but I was somewhat impressed by the Nets win. I want to get your thoughts, someone that covers the team. You pot about the team, write about the team uh, for Bullets Forever, I might add. What do you see with this team so far at two and five? And, uh, Kind of like, what are some areas you think they need to work on going forward that come to the top of your mind? I guess that lack of a preseason really hurt them more than uh, more than I think they would have expected. And, you know, it's a pretty big, I think they thought this the fit would be more seamless between, you know, swapping out Wall for Westbrook. And they're different enough players that that's been a, a tough transition. I don't think they thought Bertans would come in as, as rough as he is, you know, the Rui missing the first couple of games, I think really threw their plans out of whack. So I think they're just like a perfectly average team. And this is them regressing to the mean, you know, Philly, their core is mostly the same from last year. Orlando, their core is mostly the same from last year. Chicago, their core is mostly the same from last year. And, and I think that shows in a close fourth quarter is like, all right, we all know where the other person's going to be. And you saw a lot of like sloppy passes, a lot of like missed switches. And I, I just put that as sort of like, a, all right, we're feeling each other out. And hopefully last night is a little closer to what they're going to look like all year. Yeah, I didn't catch the game, the game live on on, on Sunday, but I, I, I watched the replay the next morning and I saw some of the same mistakes, but I also saw areas where they have improved um I kind of like the that the rotation had more of a seemed to be to be more planned at least now I don't know I won't give Scott Brooks too much credit who knows if he actually you know set out to have it a certain way but it seemed like there was more of defined roles for people and you know whether or not you like the fact that Lopez is playing over over Wagner or whether you like the fact that Jerome Robinson's getting minutes over Troy Brown at least there seemed to be a plan of how things were going to go and it and, you know, you only have so many guys playing. You can't play 12 guys every game. You know, some some teams like, you know, the Knicks play like eight and then some teams play 10. But you can't always have 12 guys playing every night. And the Wizards do need to find their like core 10 guys that you can plan to get minutes because players are uh, creatures of habit and routine. And if you know, OK, if I'm Jerome Robinson, I'm going to get 20 minutes a night. And in these 20 minutes, this is what they need me to do. I think it gives you a different headspace as a player going in. So I like to see, I, I like to see that there's some more defined roles, even though it kind of hurts me that Troy Brown has seemed to be the guy that's out the rotation. Um, even though he hasn't played well, I will admit he hasn't played that well because they try to play him like he's a three and D wing when he's really kind or of a small second. ball four this year. Even. Yeah. Yeah. Or small ball sense. four when he's really like more of a playmaking secondary ball handler. So, you know, uh, you can blame some of that on Brooks and the piece is not fitting perfectly. Uh, some of my takeaways from early on was I was really excited for about the first three quarters of the season against Philly. 
Yeah, I thought they looked tough. I thought they looked like they had an edge to them. I felt like they weren't backing down from Philly. And I really liked that, the moxie they showed. Yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, they, they melted down a little bit. It wasn't a terrible meltdown, but it was kind of like, okay, you know, we're not all on the same page when it really matters. And Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are really coming down our throat. But I was like, okay, the, the Sixers are probably going to be a top team in the East. So that's an understandable loss. But then with two losses to the Magic, two losses to the Bulls back to back, I just felt like, okay, that optimism that I had for those first three quarters of that that uh, Philly game were really just taken away because you can't lose to the Magic twice and the Bulls twice. The Bulls are shorthanded one of those games. And the Magic, quite frankly, despite what their record says, they really don't have that much talent. They're just well coached and Steve Clifford gets the most out of the talent. So they're, uh, they're solid, competent adults, and it's the way you lost that second Magic game. Right. And, and I feel like if they win that one, they probably win that next Bulls game just from like a momentum standpoint. And I don't know if all of a sudden they're, let's say, four and three instead of two and five, we think about this team totally differently when realistically three, you know, three possessions could have changed that record. Yeah, and four and three is exactly kind of the record I had in my head of like where I think they should be. Like I really actually think they should have won that Philly game if mm -hmm. but they just couldn't close. And and there's a there's a bunch of reasons why they they aren't, you know, as good as maybe we, you know, we think they should be based on the opponents they played. But I, I wanna ask you a little bit about your early impressions of Russell Westbrook. Um I I don't want to hear about triple doubles and I know you're not going to give me that take, but I'm just putting it out there that I'm so sick of the triple double talk. And I, I've never been a big, like, Oh my gosh, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple double. I've never been in that camp. I think it, it's awesome that he can do it if it res results in wins, but here it's not, it hasn't helped us win. So that doesn't really matter to me. So I want to get your thoughts and just Russell Westbrook's overall impact so far. I won't give you too much triple-double talk because I, I think that as a thing is meaningless, but it is impressive because he had to create a lot of looks for a lot of non-offensive threats to average double-digit assists with those teams. And I think that's the most meaningful part. Like Wall was like a special creator in transition and, and like that sort of like, you know, one-handed skip pass to a guy in the corner. Like Westbrook doesn't do that the same way. And I think he really would prefer to take the ball to the rack himself, but but he still still creates looks. It's not like he's not capable of doing that. So I think that stat's more important than the rebounds. The rebounds is nice because you can grab and go. And let's be real, like as good as Thomas Bryant has been, he needs help on the boards. And so he, he brings that. So like, I actually like the fit in a vacuum. I, I think... They finally got around to using him the way that Houston tried to use him. It's just that the Wizards actually have enough size with their shooting to be able to do that. Uh, so I, I think if they can kind of keep putting him in that role, you know, where he was against New Jersey, where he was posting up and he was taking a smaller point guard to, to the rim, like they can live with some of the bad pull-ups and stuff if that's the case, because he's, he's going to give you enough other things. But um, I'm higher on him than most, but there's no way you're getting $43 million worth of production. And that's the problem. They're just, you can't win when you have that much money tied to someone that doesn't, you know, give you the, you know, the dollar for dollar value that you need from somebody that makes that much. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not one of the people that I look at the wizard's record and I put that on Westbrook. I think for the most part, he's been what we knew we were going to get, which is a guy that's going to, 
he's going to help you on the boards. He's going to, you know, he's, he's a really uh, unselfish player in a lot of ways. Like I know he has a reputation weirdly for being selfish, but he does focus on getting other people involved and he's going to put up numbers. He's going to score 20 points, you know, or a little bit more per game. So he's been as advertised, but honestly, what I've been most disappointed in is how uh, Scott Brooks has utilized him in lineups. Uh, I think, they haven't set him up for optimal success. Uh, guys like Garrison Matthews don't even play when he'd be a perfect person to pair in a like a second unit. You know, if you stagger well and Beal, he'd be a perfect guy to kind of marry to play with Russ. Like, okay, your, your 15 minutes a night or whatever he gets are going to be tied to playing with Russ so we can space the floor. Um, you know, playing, I, I would marry a lot of Russ's minutes with, you know, to playing with Bertans too, or, or Bertans minutes to Russ, because you want that optimal, optimal floor spacing, uh, a lineup. I would like to see a little bit more is a lineup that is, has Bertans at the five or Rui at the five, however you want to look at it, but a lineup where you really can space the floor and go and, and really give Russ the lane to try to operate. Now I know Rui isn't a, a knockdown shooter, but his shot looks better. And I think that if he gets left open, he'll hit it at a decent rate. Um, so that's a lineup I would like to see too, but I'm re I'm really sick of the Ish Smith and, and Russ lineups that never makes sense. Plus to me. Lopez clogging the lane. When you want I, I don't to understand drive. that. I wouldn't play Russ with Lopez really at all because yeah. It's it, it's literally like you're just clogging the paint for and what what you need Russ to do is attack the rim. So I don't blame Russ for, you know, if you get Russell Westbrook in 2021 now, you know, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy who can't shoot, who needs to get to the rim, who needs space on the floor. He's going to put up big numbers regardless of whether they're spacing or not. But he, his shooting numbers will hurt you if you don't provide the spacing he needs. So I just wonder if you and I can tell that Ish Smith wouldn't be a good, you know, a good fit next to him or in playing him alongside with they had a they were playing him with Neto and Ish Smith and Lopez and Troy Brown. That's four guys that can't shoot it, you know, shoot that well. The You know, Neto's a pretty good shooter, but it just doesn't make sense. He's not J.J. Redick. I mean, you know, exactly. Like he he no didn't get on the floor for a Philly team that needed shooting for a reason. And no one's going to respect him like he's J.J. Redick or one of these guys that's really going to space the floor, to your point. And so that's what's really frustrating to me. It, it's not Russell Westbrook himself. I'm not going to be mad at the guy, you know, for being who he is. We know who he is. And, it, you know, it's written. That's why I committed Houston for doing what they did last year. I think Capella's a good player, but they said, okay, but to give ourselves the, the best chance to win with Russell Westbrook, having Capella on the floor doesn't help. And, yeah. and, you know, Westbrook's a better player than Capella. So we need to build around our best guys. And once they did that, Russ took off uh, last season until the bubble hit. So, or until COVID hit. Um, so I really think that we need to find a way, uh, Scott Brooks needs to find a way to optimize Westbrook and put in, in better lineups that help, that can help. I don't know why Garrison Matthews doesn't play at all. I really don't. I know he's on a two way. I know he can only play a certain amount of games. I just don't understand. That's not it. Actually, I don't think that's a restriction this year. Okay, I maybe I'm wrong say, about that. I want to say they lifted that just to give them some, like, COVID relief when they weren't sure what the G League would look like. So, like, normally I want to say it's, like, the 45 days with the big right. club. Right, I don't think that's a thing this year. So and they, that makes – that's even – Harder yeah. yeah, less of an excuse for Scott Brooks, because I was kind of thinking, OK, well, maybe we were trying to save him for the season. But if that's true, what you're saying, and it very well may be true, then there's really no excuse. Now, I know you can't play everybody, but what I like about Garrison Matthews is he has one skill that translates. It's like he can shoot and he plays hard. So it's not you don't have to worry about is he going to come out here and give effort? He's He plays hard on defense. He can shoot. He actually isn't terrible putting the ball on the floor either. 
So he can be any worse defensively than like an Ish Smith would be. I, exactly. I don't think so. Or he's even not. Troy Brown or any of those guys. So yeah. he's, he's probably a lesser player, but if he's a better fit, I think that makes more sense. So. Yeah. And fit and fit is so important when you have a player like Russell Westbrook. Westbrook isn't a player like Beal where Beal can fit with every lineup and be, and be productive. But Westbrook to me, isn't like that. If he's in the right lineup, he can be an all NBA caliber player, but if he's in the wrong lineup, he can be pretty hard to watch. So uh, overall, like I'm happy with with the way Russ has looked so far, given my expectation. Um, but it kind of is what it is. But I want to move on. Let's talk about Thomas Bryant. He is a player that I kind of have been higher on than I think a lot of like the Wizards fan base has been. And I've been, you know, kind of more accepting of some of his up uh, ebbs and flows. You know, I, he has high, high highs where he'll have you know, like 28 and 11 and they'll have low lows where he has like, a 12 point game and only a couple rebounds and he played bad defense or whatever. So uh, he's been playing well lately. What do you make of, of TB's performance so far? And is it something that you think he can keep up? This is the second year in a row where I've started the season with, well, last year I did Thomas Bryant has a strong chance to win most improved player. And then obviously didn't work out when he got hurt. But <laughs> right. This year I started out with a more reserved, what it would take for him to win most improved player. I, I just really am a big fan and, and, I, I liked him in college. I didn't understand why he why he slid the way he did. Obviously, he got hurt, but uh, it just it never really made sense to me why people were so down on him. I, I'm just so sick of the like. He's soft. He's a four. Like, yeah, he's not a great defender. His feet are kind of slow laterally, but there are very few bigs that are that come in right away and, and play inconsistent minutes their first year, and. And, and our impact defenders like he's not a monster athlete so expecting him to be a guy we got off like the trash heap basically that is a skilled versatile offensive player and also somehow to Mutombo, like people gotta chill out i mean he, he is what he is but i just don't think there's any way that you're not getting more than seven million dollars worth of production from him and, and that's sort of how i try to look at these guys is is he outplaying his contract and, and right now i definitely think so yeah, I think that's a, a perfect way to frame it. Um, I think that he's definitely outplaying his contract. I think he's a a good starting center. I think he has deficiencies, but I think that people focus too much on what he can't do versus what he can do. And I've been a person saying I wanted him to get back to the strong diving to the rim opposed yeah. to like some of the mid-range stuff. Mm -hmm. I really thought that would help him be the best version of what he is um it's funny i was telling one of my friends back when back when they first got him and he played like one or two games and he kind of popped i said he's clint capella light and he's not the defender that capella is not capella is not a great defender either but he's not clint capella on defense but what i meant was like if he can be like a, a rim runner that that my the way i saw it was someone that could play like 25 minutes a night at that at that time sure. and now i look at a guy that i think he still needs that uh, another center on the roster that can complement what he does but what he does well he does really well and he's one of the mm -hmm. better players in the league at what he specifically does which is diving to the rim and finishing at a high percentage. He's shooting like, I think 70% from, from two or something yeah, like that. He's crazy. shooting a really high percentage from two. He led the league in efficiency one year, um, at least in the paint. And in terms of just like his finishing at the rim, he finishes when he's there. Like he, he's going to put it in, he, he'll get tip-ins. And I, I feel like, well, instead of focusing on him not being an all-world defender, 
he's not the worst defender I've ever seen. He's not Enos Cantor in the paint, you know? If your perimeter defense was better, he would look a lot better. And, and, and that's the big thing for everybody. And that's a phenomenal point. And that was the point I was going to make. I think All a right. lot of the issue for the for the Wizards for years has been not stopping the ball on the perimeter. And then they expect Gortad or whoever the center is to clean up the, the mess. And then it's like he's, you know, we, Thomas Bryant is heavy-footed. And that's a fact. If you watch him run, he runs kind of heavy-footed. He's heavy-footed, so that's not going to change. He's not going to be quick on rotations all the time. But if you did a better job guarding on the perimeter, he wouldn't have to clean up so much. I think he's working He's working hard on defense this year. His recognition of, of offenses and what's going on is, is, is better. And like you said, he's young, so that's going to keep – that's going to keep growing. And I like that Beal and Russ have shown confidence in him and kind of when he makes plays, they're beating his chest and telling him like, keep it up. Because I think that matters for a young guy like TB. Yeah. So, so on our show, one of the things um, that, that Larry always hits on is, you know, he didn't like Bryant in the bubble because he was just sort of hanging around the free throw line or the elbow and like agree dunks threes and yep. You know, you can't be on your heels so much, but if if we didn't have turnstiles on the perimeter, that would that would look a lot better. So there's the trade-off and and rim protection. It's a lot of ways to protect the rim. It's not just like who's an elite shot blocker. Well, if a guy doesn't get past the free throw line, then you've protected the rim. So uh, if if they complimented him the right way, I think he would look a lot better. Um yeah, he actually kind of reminds me a little bit of like Nene to an extent. Like he's not as physical, uh, and Nene only had to like that you know mid-range jump shot. But they're the guys that are going to give you like 14 points every game. They're probably not as good a rebounder as they should be, despite their height. Uh, but if you complement them with the right people, they they can make you really successful. So I think Westbrook helps him. I think uh, Hachimura improving as a rebounder would really help him and just let him do what he does. Yeah, well, speaking of, of Hachimura, what are your thoughts on how Rui has looked? Um, I guess he's played two games since coming back from the basically pink eye uh, situation he was dealing with. How Have you thought that he's looked improved from last year? Uh, what are your impressions? Yeah, I think noticeably. Um, and, and I don't know if the skills are that much better, but like the understanding of the game seems a lot better. And I probably mentioned this on, on a pod we did last year or something too, but I, I just remember sitting there courtside pregame and he was sitting with, um, I want to say it was like Dave Adkins, one of the assistant coaches or the player, one of the player development guys. And uh, they were just sitting with an iPad and, and you just saw them both, you know, doing this and, and he's drawing plays here. And what if the guy goes here? Like he seemed so intent, like looking at film and, and that's Larry's other big thing. It's just like film is so huge for these guys. And it just seems like he has a better understanding of where he should be, where other people are going to be. Uh, I don't know. You know maybe the shot's probably little, got a little more arc to it. But otherwise, I don't I don't think he looks noticeably different from a skill set perspective. But he's been a lot more impactful, um, taking smaller guys to the hoop, confidently shooting the three when he gets a look at it. So uh, I'm I'm – and physical on defense. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, he's strong for a rookie, but last year, a lot of times, he would just sort of like, you know, matador defense. And and this year, it's like, all right, I'm going to bang with you. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not giving up position. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, I would say, actually. 
Yeah, honestly, the two areas for me with him were his feel for the game and the defense. And I think that I've seen noticeable improvements in both of those areas. And in the first two games, he seems to have more of a confidence about him. And like you said, he seems to, to, to know where to go more on both sides of the ball. And I think that that's really showing up. He's just having a positive impact in the game. He's recognizing his mismatches and then taking advantage of them quick. Quick moves is something that I like to see with athletes, especially young players. It's like, okay, Rui, you don't have everything figured out now. You're in your second year. You know, you have your flaws as a player. But what one thing you have is physicality and you're athletic and you're strong. You get Kyrie, put your butt into him, catch the ball, finish. Don't daily daddle in the post. And he did that a few times against the Nets. He caught the ball, quick move, finish. And, and I really like to see the decisiveness with him. Because last year at times you could see him thinking and he's a rookie, you know, he was a rookie. So that's going to be expected with young guys. They're going to sometimes look like deer in headlights. They're not going to know what to do with, Ke you know, when they're guarding Kevin Durant or they're not going to do, you know, what to do if, you know, they're in the post, you know, or whatever. So I like to see that he's been decisive um, and on defense, like you mentioned, he's competing. Like they put him on Kevin Durant. Look, he's not going to stop Kevin Durant. No, and I know there was a stat floating around like, oh, Kevin Durant was you know, one from six from the field with, Rui guarding him. Kevin Durant's unguardable. LeBron could have been on him. If he misses, he misses. If he makes it, he makes it. You know, obviously there's some nuance to that, but you get my general point. He's Kevin Durant. So sure. Rui wasn't stopping him, but he was making Kevin Durant work. And yeah. that's all you can ask of a guy like Rui. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, if he can just be a, a serviceable defender, that is what you need. You know, he's, I don't think he's ever going to be a stopper. But if he can be a guy that can compete, be physical, and not give up easy buckets and know where to go on the court, for me, the, the rest of it's going to come together. Rui's shot's going to get better. Is he going to be knocked down? Maybe, maybe not. But his shot's going to get better, and it, the offense is going to be there for him. But really, it's about feel for the game and defense. So I've been happy with what I've seen so far. I loved what you just said, though, about um, the, like decisiveness. And, and that's the thing I, I think I want to see more from the Troy Browns and the Jerome Robinsons, they, they look tentative kind of almost all of the time. And, and Rui's like, oh, I got the ball, cool, go into the hoop. Like Troy sort of dribbles around, he probes, he forces it once the play's already sort of broken up or, or Jerome like has a wide open three and you see him looking for someone else who is more wide open. Uh, whereas, whereas Rui would just like put that thing up and, and he didn't do that all the time last year, unless he was, you know, 15 feet from the hoop. So I like, yeah, it. when, when, when they played, when he played his first game, I guess it was against Minnesota and he caught the ball and he just went straight up into his shot. I was, I was surprised, you know, most players are not surprised when they just shoot it, but for him, cause he usually just looked a little hesitant when he was open for three, like, okay, I guess I'll shoot it. But he looked like, okay, well I'm gonna shoot it. And he hit he it. That. And then he hit a second one and you know, it's going to ebb and flow with his shot. It's not going to be perfect. It's a work in progress, but I was really happy to see, um, just to see his progress. Um, but speaking of progress, I want to move to the guy that recently left the Wizards. I want to ask you about John Wall. He's looked great so far. I'm going a, I'm to a say his stats real quick, and I want to get I want to get your opinion on how Wall's played for Houston so far. So he's averaging 21 points, six assists, four rebounds, a steal, and a block per game. He's had a, a game where Harden didn't play, where he put up 28 and really kind of really looked good, just looked like the old John Wall. What are your impressions of Wall so far, and are you happy with how he looks? I'm just happy for him, you know? I, I mean, even if he didn't look – like, he's looked pretty good, I think, overall. Uh, obviously, the other night wasn't probably as good as the first couple, but uh, 
you know, just he, he has to be at least reasonably healthy. And, and that that in itself is, is a win. I, I still like I, I was never the biggest fan of wall style of play just from the like the, you know, the 18 foot off the back foot fade away kind of deal like flat jumper. It, it drove me a little nuts, but uh, I, I want good things for him and, and being healthy and being out there. Uh, it, it's just, is a really cool story. Like, I don't know if there's a better like story in the NBA than just being like coming back from, I mean, I guess maybe Kevin Durant since it's the same injury, but the way wall plays is more dependent on, on him being healthy and athletic. And, uh, that's, that's just awesome. I think. Yeah. And, and I agree with you, you know, I, I anticipated, I think, you know, when you and I potted before, before he came back, I said, you know, I'm thinking we're going to get 80% of the guy, you know, and this is back when he was going to be a wizard. Um, And I was hoping for him that that was true. You know, you never know with these things, but I kind of felt like with the layoff he had had in two years since he's played until his first game back, Mm -hmm. that he was going to just be spry because part of what was his issue was that he just had a lot of wear and tear, like injuries, just after injury, different things. I know he had like a kneecap injury in the past and then he had double knee surgery at one point. And I honestly felt like a break from playing competitive basketball was probably what his body needed Mm -hmm. to just have, you know, he spent a year probably rehabbing and then he probably spent another year, like just being free of like the constant wear and tear. And I I think you're seeing a result where he looks, you know, is he as quick as he was, was when he was probably like 20? No, but he was just as quick as he was a couple of years ago. I mean, he is flying up and down the court. I actually saw him, you know, he's never going to be the all defensive player that he was at one point again, but I really saw him competing on defense and like actually trying to fight through screens and stuff like that. And he made a play against the Kings where he uh, forced a turnover late in the game on De'Aaron Fox. And it was, you know, he was hustling and moving and it was just, I was really happy to see him really happy for him to see him have these moments on the court where he's still dominating because I can't imagine what it feels like to go through all the different things he's been through on the court and off the court and to have those moments where you're hitting big shots or closing out a game with a big defensive play or whatever it is. I was just really happy for him. And I think that the fresh start was honestly what he needed to get in a new environment where isn't there's no pressure on him in Houston. You know, there's they have a lot going on with Harden, which we'll get to, and he can just play. He can just play. I just hate when people rewrite history. So like I, I, I could have probably could have gotten accused of being like a wall hater the other night because someone kept talking about how uh, we traded wall, who was this elite lockdown defender away through <laughs> Westbrook, who's a bum defensively. And it's like, I mean, I mean, that's mostly a wash. Wall it hadn't, is. he hadn't really guarded anyone since like 2016. Like he was really good, like 2013 and a half through like 2016. And then not so much. And whether that's the injuries or the offensive load or the minutes per game, like, I, I, I don't know what it was or, or just being in shape enough to do it. Like, right. You know, but it's like, okay, let's, let's pump the brakes on like how elite he was. But, but to your point, like he looked like he was getting it after it the other night and, and, that's that's good to see too because i think he he can be and and as much as he knows the game he should be able to like be an impact defender even if he's not a hundred percent of what it used to be physically 
Yeah, and I think if you're the Rockets, like having Wall instead of Westbrook, and this isn't a comparison of them to his players, but I think that, you know, a team could talk themselves into taking Wall on mm-hmm. as a as an asset or a player. You know, if he plays, you know, let's say he continues what he's doing right now, 20 and 6, there's going to be, a, there could be, and, let, and they might want to keep him themselves, but there, there could be a team out there, you know, maybe the Knicks or someone like that that says, well, we need a real leader to, you know, Wall's only 31. He has two years left on his deal. And they might be able to get a a pick or something or or something like that. And so to me, they really did a good job of, of getting Wall in. And you put him in a situation where I actually think him and Harden like can fit. Uh, you know, it's not ever going to be perfect with them too. It's not a perfect fit. And then, you know, Wall looked good running the show the other night against the, the Kings aren't good, but he looked pretty good running the show. And with Christian Wood there, he, I mean, that's a, really a great good. big man for both him and Harden to play with. I was looking at their team and I was kind of like, you know, to be honest, they're really like one guy away from yeah. being a really good team. You have Wall, even if he's not full all-star form Wall, that that guy that averages 20 and six could be a perfectly good point guard for you with, with Harden. And you find one more guy to go with Wood, you might have something. So, you know. I don't know. I'm happy for Wall. Uh, you know, I think the fresh start was good for both sides. I think that uh, that uh, you know, there's no pressure, so he can just go out there and ball and and do his thing. And I'm happy that he's back. I'm really happy that he's back. Uh, but let's talk about Harden, Matt. I want to ask you about Harden. We know Harden has you know basically requested a trade, not publicly but privately with the Rockets. Uh, I don't know where he wants to go. He wanted to go to the Nets at one point, and apparently he's added a bunch of teams to his list, including the Bucks and the Heat and all these other teams. I want to know what you think the Rockets should do from their perspective. What what do you think they should do with Harden? Do you think it's in their best interest to try to hold on to him and make it work? Or do you think they should demand as much as they're apparently demanding, which is like a young player and like four or five picks? Uh, what do you think they should do? The only phrase I'm sick of more than, well, more sick of than, than I am the triple-double counter every every Wizards game is Harden's list. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm the Houston Rockets, I could not care less about you know, it'd be one thing if he was on like an expiring deal and the team had to have confidence that he was going to resign or whatever, but that's not the case. Like he's there for the foreseeable future. So uh, whoever you trade him to, you're basically locking in a really good player for a couple years and that makes a team relevant. So I, I think they have every right to, to hold out and it's not like his value is going to noticeably depreciate and you can kind of see what the rest of your roster looks like. Maybe he comes around, maybe he doesn't. I actually think that they're a better team in terms of fit this year around him than they were last year. Like, I, I don't know how much he and wall are liking each other right now, but it, it looked a little weird last night or two nights ago, uh, all sort of running together. But uh, yeah, I mean, just would make sense for him. Wall's a better shooter maybe a better defender if he's going to play the way he's played so far. So uh, having Covington would have been big, I think, honestly, like uh, that, that would have made sense to me to have with this crew. But if I'm him, I I don't know where I would end up. That's like a better deal. And I just don't see the teams he wants to go to like making it happen. But if New Jersey continues to struggle, uh, that's probably the best bet. Although Dinwiddie being out for the year, I think really hurts that. So maybe for Houston, you can get yourself psyched up for, well, Dinwiddie will be back next year and then we can make a move. But uh, if you throw in Levert, Allen and some picks, uh, you know, maybe that's the best you're going to get. 
Yeah, it's interesting because before before the trade request and all that, I, like in the in the offseason after the Rockets were eliminated on the podcast, I said, you know, the Rockets probably won't do this, but I would I would consider trading Harden now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was funny to me that like immediately like a month after that, I said that and not giving myself credit, but I just thought it was interesting that though, you have all these trade demands. Mm-hmm. Westbrook wanted out. He wanted out. And I thought it was interesting because. I do think that they should be looking to trade Harden, even if he hadn't demanded a trade. And this is before the wall acquisition. So now, you know, I'm kind of like, well, they have, I didn't think they could swing a guy like Christian Wood. So, you know, they were ended up being able to kind of retool the team around Harden, which makes me change my opinion a little bit. But I thought they should trade him just because like the writing was on the wall. You have no assets. You have, you're stuck with Russ and him and there's nowhere to go now they've kind of been able to retool a little bit. I think that they should completely disregard whatever Harden wants. <laughs> I don't care what do you what's want. best for your team. Yeah. yeah. You're under contract. Uh, I don't care about your list. You can send it to me and, you know, maybe, or maybe not, I will consider honoring if these teams want to give us, you know, a good, a, a good trade package, but I don't care. I, I'm not trading you to the nuts. You know why? Because they, all they have to offer me is Karis Levert and a bunch of picks. And to be honest, Karis Levert is a nice player. He's not a all-star level player in my eyes. Agreed. Maybe in the East, he could be like a back end all-star. Maybe. But I'm not, like, enthusiastic about getting Karis LeVert back as, like, a package, you know, as the centerpiece of a package for, for James Harden. Like, that that to me is, is like – and he's not even that young. He's, like, 26 or 27 now. And had an injury history problem. So. Yeah, yeah. And he's on a good contract. That's about the only thing. He's on a good contract. But and, – and, again, this isn't to bash Karis LeVert. I think he's a good player. But I just don't think that that's a guy that's enticing me like him. People are like him and didn't we and Allen is a good package. And I'm like, a good package for what? <laughs> like I just don't know how much better they're gonna get, and 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 that that package would need sig- significant picks with it, I think. But uh, who else is really gonna like make you a better deal? Um, the the team I haven't heard mentioned, and maybe it's a timeline thing. Although some of their offseason moves, I don't know what their timeline is. Is New Orleans might make a little bit of sense? Um, you know the the Ingram. Zion fits not great since they sort of play similar ish. A little wonky, yeah. Uh, and and Harden's even higher usage than Ingram is, but at least he's sort of more on the guard, can be a facilitator end of things. So uh, if you have Harden as a shooter or sort of creator, and you've got Bledsoe off ball, you can let Zion sort of do his like low usage. You know, he doesn't need a ton of plays run for him to be effective, and then. Steven Adams to just sort of like bully people around and then you just put a couple shooters out there and stuff like that's actually a scary team to me and if you're Houston I don't think you're doing better than Ingram so no that's a good point I mean from Houston's standpoint I think the Ingram thing makes a lot of sense I don't know if I if I was New Orleans like in in a vacuum I'd much rather have Harden than Ingram but I kind of look at it like the timeline thing is a thing that I that I wonder is kind of like you're cashing in. But you've got like Adams locked in to however many million dollars a year for a couple years. So it's right. like and and I think Bledsoe has another two years at what 20 million dollars. So it's like they're making like some more winish now moves. So if they were just like going full rebuild I I wouldn't even suggest it, but if you're doing that with those other guys, like, yeah, what, what I don't know what else they're trying to do. That that's a good point. I think the team that I, and I've and I've tweeted this. The team to me that makes the most sense is the Denver Nuggets. Now they their style of play isn't like super hard and friendly, but I forget which podcast I was listening to. But the, the on the podcast, whoever was talking, said 
Denver can make needs to make a decision. Do they want to be a good team or do they want to make like do they want to be a good team that plays this way that you know okay they'll be competitive they'll make the playoffs or do they want to try to win a championship? And I thought that was a good point where it's like okay you can say like oh well we have Jokic and we have we have Murray and we're developing Michael Porter Jr. and we're trying to win a championship, you know, with the, with this core. And that's great. You'll be, they're going to be a good team for for years to come with those guys. So it's it's easy to say, oh, well, they should just trade for Harden. But I look at it and I'm like, well, if you can keep Murray and keep Jokic and you still could trade Michael Porter Jr., like, and and that's the guy you you have to give up. Well, they've proven they can be competent without Michael Porter Jr. And then you'd be taking Michael Porter Jr. and probably like R.J. Hampton and Bobo and, and a couple picks and trading them to Houston. But you're getting back James Harden and you're keeping your other two young stars. So I'm kind of like, well, you're not really selling your future because you have Jokic long-term and Murray locked in long-term. So you're not mortgaging your future to make the trade happen. So it's like a best of both worlds trade to me where it's like, okay, do you want to try to win a championship or do you want to stand pat? Because look, I like Michael Porter Jr. a whole lot. I think he's a really talented player, but is he ever going to be as good as James Harden is right now? And the answer is probably not. So, and is RJ Hampton, you know, who knows what he could be? Who knows what Bull Bull could be, but most likely not. They're not going to be that level of player. So I would, you know, I don't know if it's like a, a easy decision to make. It's not my decision to make, but I look at their team and I think, okay, like they have a nice roster and they're going to be competitive. But realistically, it's like they have the the the, the mix of assets. And I mean, you know, I guess they, I think they have all their picks where they could, they could make a compelling package, you know? And if I'm Houston, Michael Porter Jr. is probably the best young talent you're going to get unless his medicals are just completely tragic, which they might be. <laughs> I think Denver's been at their best when they've had that, like that really deep set of guys to just rotate in and out of there. And here are like, legitimately 10 competent dudes to throw you. I, I'm, I'm all for like consolidating because I, I think Tim Connolly's shown he's creative enough to like redraft that depth back up. Great point. Uh, you know, taking Jokic, taking Nurkic, people forget that that was their pick to, you know, like he's picked some guys that weren't high on people's radar and, and even Murray. I mean, it's not like he was a top three pick and he's been pretty damn good. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with them turning those assets into something i just it would hurt my soul to watch harden dribble the shit out of the ball while Jokic just sort of stands in the corner <laughs> yeah like you basically turn him into like cleveland kevin love so they them doing something makes sense if if i were them i wouldn't do that just personally no that's a fair point and i and i think the the counter to it is like the style of play and how would the two mesh and again that's why i say it's not an easy decision but I just look at their team and I don't, to me, the path to really being a championship contender, it doesn't have to be James Harden, but I just don't know if I see them being more than just a really competitive, like second round team. I know they made the conference finals last year, but I don't, I mean, the Clippers just really wet the bed. So I don't know if I, you give them credit, they made it. But to me, with the current iteration of the team, especially since they lost Jeremy Grant, even though he's not like a all-star level player, he He was was a good yeah. yeah, two-way player for them. So Plumlee, I mean, like they they lost a lot of depth. Exactly. So I look at it and I'm and I and I just think, you know, I mean, you say what you want. Harden has a lot of, has a lot of different guys have cycled through Houston, and I know he's had his issues, and he can be a certain way with his personality. But 
him and Chris Paul both put up good numbers and played well and got pretty far together. Him and Westbrook, they made it work. It wasn't a perfect fit, but they made it work. And I don't see, I mean, think because Jamal Murray can shoot. So it, it's not like him spotting up. He, they're not going to leave him open. So he would have a lot a lot more space than he does with Wall and Westbrook. And Jokic can shoot. And I feel like there's, there's a way to make it work. And, you know, I think that that's a team I look at and I say, well, if you guys really are want to compete this season and next season, like, I think this gives you a good opportunity. Uh, another team of interest is the Celtics, but with the way Jalen Brown is playing, I don't, I don't I know. Do it. I mentioned this, you know, on Twitter, and I know you responded. I, I think he might be better than Tatum. I, I really do. Yeah, he's really good. I mean, it just depends on on sort of what you what you need him to do. He might be more versatile, just in terms of. Uh, you can have him do a, a lot of different things defensively. I think uh, Tatum's a, a little bit more of a primary sort of offensive creator, uh, whereas, whereas you know Jalen, I think, needs a little more help to get some offense. So I think that's the main separator for me, at least. But that's I, I, I wouldn't give him up for, for Harden at this point. Just again, you've got two young guys, reasonable timetable, they seem to get along. Like there doesn't seem to be an ego thing between the two. And I wouldn't rock the boat from a chemistry standpoint. So, so that's why I said it like that Nets offer in a vacuum only because, or not in a vacuum, like the Nets offer is not that great, but like the teams that could go get him, Denver, if I'm Denver, it doesn't make enough sense to me that I'm going to like give up everybody. If I'm Boston, it doesn't make enough sense to me from a fit standpoint that I'm going to give up everybody. Uh, Miami, it doesn't make enough fit uh, sense fit wise that I'm going to give up everybody. So I think they're actually kind of limited. Not that people won't eventually pull the trigger. Like if you look at what Milwaukee just gave up for Drew Holiday, <laughs> I, I, I got to think Harden nets you more than that. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. I, I think he's going to be there at least for another month or two at a minimum. Yeah, me too. And I think that like. I guess the elephant in the room offer is the Ben Simmons offer. That's yeah. that, that was like funny enough was the one I suggested on my podcast before he even requested. Trade. I was like, Oh, like that's what, that's where I would be looking. And you know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, that seems to be the one that people are kind of pointing to and saying that, um, you know, this is the one that's kind of staring everyone in the face. I think that, you know, uh, if I was Philly, I would say the offer is Ben Simmons and maybe another player. I'm not giving you a bunch of picks because to me, Houston doesn't have leverage in the standpoint of like Harden is already shown. He can, he's willing to make you guys uncomfortable to get what he wants. And yeah, he's playing, but he looks out of shape. And despite what his, he's averaging a ton of points, he can do that in his sleep, but he, he doesn't look like he's, he's there to take it as seriously as he probably should. And if I'm Philly, you know, the best player, young player you can get is probably Ben Simmons. So I don't see why I'm inclined to give you Ben Simmons. I, I saw, I was listening to this Rockets podcast and they were like, would you do Ben Simmons in three picks for Harden? And the guy was like, no. And I'm like, three picks? Like, I'm not giving you three. And he said, no, he said that wasn't enough. And I was thinking, I'm not giving you three picks. A, a, a pick you could talk me into. The deal that I was saying that maybe I would do if if I was really pressed on getting hardened was Simmons, Thibel, and a pick. Like, yeah. maybe I would do that. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not doing, like, Ben Simmons, 
maxi thibault in two picks or three picks it's like no i'm not giving you all of that like if you want ben simmons or if that's the player that you know the best young player you can get you can get him maybe i'm willing to throw in thibault maybe a pick and that's it like i'm not building some crazy pick package and along with with simmons because you guys don't have the leverage for that you know and if you want more than that then I'm moving on. Like I, I read a report today saying that the Rockets wanted more from the Heat than than Hero and Robinson. And I was thinking, can I blame them for wanting more than that? Probably not. But it's at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you don't have all the leverage here. Like your guy wants out. We have a perfectly good team without him. So I'm not giving you those two guys and Achua and a five picks. Like you can maybe have the three guys and no picks or three guys and a pick or two or two of the three or whatever, but I'm not giving you the whole boat, you know? It's, that's just not happening. And that's why if I'm them, he, he's locked into a contract. He's not gonna not play, you know? Yeah. Like I, he's not gonna hold out. So I would wait and see if some team gets desperate. Uh, you know, if like Golden State's struggling at a certain point, do they... Do they throw Wiggins and and somebody and and the Minnesota pick and Pascal and whatever to try to make it happen? I mean, maybe something like that. You can, you know, they they can spend whatever they want to spend. They print money there, like you know, they they're not going to need the picks in the near future. So, you know, maybe that's a team that that comes in. Although the way Wiggins and Ubre and company have looked so far, that probably doesn't help your case uh for for being able to trade them but you know someone like that that can afford to take on that contract and and still build a team around them because i I don't know it it just they they need some team to just be like all right shit we got to do something here's a bunch of people like that i think that's where they're at well you know if the nuggets continue on the trend they're on they're probably going to be looking for some type of shakeup. uh you know i'm not trying to force them to the nug i think it would be really interesting though if he went there but um you know they're two and four right now so you know we'll see i mean it's early things can change quick especially this early on we've seen teams get off to really hot starts and then not make the playoffs and teams start off slow and you know a few years ago the wizards started off like two and eight and ended up winning 49 games and making to the second round so things change fast in the nba Here's i want one for you i haven't seen thrown out here though what about toronto what about toronto you know i w- what pot i was listening to a rockets pod and they were suggesting siakam and i, I wouldn't do siakam if if i were toronto but if you could make it work with uh ananobi and and some picks and I don't know a couple other guys and and something like that. I mean, they've they've shown the ability to like make an all-in move in the past. And you know, that's you know what I haven't thought about that you're making me think of now is well, what if the Raptors? Now I don't know when they can trade Van, Van Vliet, but if I if I was the Rockets and if I'm if the goal is trying to win now, I guess if you're planning on keeping Wall and Wood in some capacity, like. Van Vliet's 26 and he just yeah. signed a deal that's pretty fair value for, for what he does. So, yeah. I mean, if you could give Van Vliet and Anobi and some picks, like <laughs> I might do like that. That's not a t- like people would probably poo poo that, but like, I would say like, that's not a terrible return. It traded, you know, uh, DeRozan and, and Pirtle and, and got Leonard. Like, I mean, you know, Masai's done some like magic stuff out there before. So I, I, I want to say they can't trade Van Fleet. I don't think year. they can either. Not yeah. this year. You're probably so, right about that. Uh, but at a certain point, I mean, I or, guess or can Lowry they trade him doesn't at, at the a deadline? certain point, like into the year. 
I, I forget how it works with yeah, me too. the new contract versus signing an additional extension. And, and like, there was a reason the Wizards couldn't trade Beal for the entire season versus just like, I think if it's you're just a free agent on a one-year deal, I don't know. I'm, they changed, I'm, I'm terrible I know they, at this stuff. They yeah. changed the rule to like, because the season's shorter. So they like wanted to make it so people could make, you know, make certain deals. And, you yeah. know, I don't know when it is though, but you know, uh, it, but just in theory, I think the Van Vliet and, you know, if they weren't going to do Siakam would be interesting, but Siakam is, you know, has struggled uh, a lot lately. And I, you know, it seems like the league has maybe figured out ways to slow him down and he struggled to find a counter. I think that he's like a little bit above his water as like the go-to guy on a really good team. I think that he but needs if, to do Yeah, like but if you let him relax off ball yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yep. and you've got Lowry and those guys around him, I, I mean, that team I wouldn't want to play. And, and I think if anybody can creatively use Harden, I, I just read this Nick Nurse biography over the last couple of nights, and that dude is crazy, but in like a good way. Like there's there's an ability there to come up with unique outside the box stuff. And right. I think he's somebody that could make the most out of Harden. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that he's been a guy that he's creative and, and he's one of the better coaches in the league. And so that that's a really interesting destination that I haven't given a lot a lot of thought to, but I think that uh, I'm glad you brought it up. It, it that that's a that's an interesting thought. It'll be interesting to see where Harden goes and kind of you know, or if he goes, or maybe if he changes his mind, even if Houston, uh, you know, because it seems like you know when I watch them play, it seems like him and Wood have a good chemistry, and him and Wall mm -hmm. seem to be like you know friends off the court, and it's it seems to be working okay. So, but at the end of the day, he you know it sounds like he just doesn't want to be uh, a part of Houston's organization. It has nothing to do with the guys on the court. It seems to be a bit higher up than that. Like maybe he's just like, doesn't like the owner or, or yeah. whatever it may be. Managing your website, marketing and advertising yourself can be a headache. Your website looks unprofessional. Your company never comes up in the search engine searches. You have tried advertising on Google or social media, but have nothing to show for it. Fortunately, Social Access is here to help businesses just like yours. The Social Access Marketing Complete Suite allows you to manage all your marketing, advertising, and website design in one place with your own dedicated team of experts. Between work and family, you don't have time to learn how to design a website and get in front of the right people. Let the team at Social Access worry about that for you. Ask about the Marketing Complete Suite today. Visit socialaccess.com, that's socialxcess.com, or call 214 612-5401 today. I want to move on to another high-level player in the Western Conference. I want to ask you about Paul George. Uh, Paul George is averaging 25, five rebounds, five assists. He's having his best his best season so far. I mean, it's, it's only been maybe seven or eight games, but his numbers are, are comparable to his numbers, his, uh, you know, where he was a top three MVP candidate back in Oklahoma City a couple years ago. He looks like he's really rounded back into form after the shoulder issues and the the kind of the issues he had in the bubble. Um, he's shooting 50% from the field, 49% from three. He's really looked good. Uh, he had 39 points the other night against a really, uh, a team that's playing really well in the Phoenix Suns. And he's just, he's looked good. He's looked like the old Paul George. I want to ask you, uh, what do you what are your thoughts on his play so far? And what do you think about the slander Paul George receives? Like he he's a really ridiculed guy uh on social media and things of that nature. I, I just want to get your opinion on that. A six eight guy that could realistically be 50, 40, 90. I mean, there's like four people alive that that fit into that box. And he's a pretty good defender when he wants to be. 
I think he's become underrated from the sense of like you just can't you know replicate that kind of production at, at his size you know with too many options out there but I mean let's say like Ingram does the similar things offensively and he's a way uh, weaker defender than, than George is and I think maybe George has become a little overrated defensively because uh, he didn't look that great last year to me but uh, he looks smooth again, like the free throw shooting, I feel like is where you can tell if like, just like how smooth the guy feels like he looked kind of hitchy at times, at least early last year when he came back. So the shoulders probably better. Uh, I actually like Paul George, the player on paper, all the playoff P shit is really annoying to me. You know, you win a bubble game and you, you basically wave Dame Lillard home and it's just like, don't i'm just like a firm believer in like either like talk shit all the time or don't say a word until you win something like you can't sort of have it somewhere in the middle and then like afterwards where you've talked a bunch of shit about someone and you don't do well then it's like well you know like i'm i'm really depressed like i'm very pro mental health in our in our household you know what i mean like i'm not trying to like shit on that but it, it just seemed like a very conveniently timed excuse to me. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just like, if you were in that bad of a shape mentally, I just feel like you wouldn't be shit talking one of your peers on social media. It just, it seemed disingenuous. So I think he's kind of done it to himself, to be honest. Like people don't root for him because of the things he said and done. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, first on, I'll touch on his play. Like the way he's played has just been, I, it's been a joy to watch him kind yeah. of round back into form. And he's a guy that I've always enjoyed watching just from his like Indiana days and, mm-hmm. and to see the guy, you know, a similar guy that we saw in OKC that last year he was there has been really fun. It's it's nice to see him back and doing it on both sides of the ball. I don't, I, I think he picks. I love him in Washington. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, that would be amazing. And I think that uh, he picks his spots more on defense uh, now than he did a few years ago. And I think when he wants to be, he's that elite guy, but I think he definitely doesn't do it every possession like he was at, at one point or, you know, most possessions uh, he kind of picks and chooses his spots. Like most players of his caliber do when they're like 30 years old, they kind of, pick and choose when they turn it on and off um but as far as the ridicule goes uh you know i feel like i'm the the type of person i'm always like defending him and or whatever and uh i think it's more of a for me it's that i think that people take the slander to like really personal levels and i think that there's one thing to me where you're like yo paul george sucks okay like that's your opinion and you can have that opinion but you see on twitter it's like he'll have he'll have like, he got five really good games and he'll have one bad game and then pandemic P is trending or way off P is trending. And I do agree with you on your sentiments of like, he's done it to himself in a lot of ways. I think that he says things every now and then that I do think like, oh God, come on, bro. Like, why are you saying this out loud? Like the Doc Rivers is misusing me thing. And That's then bad, yeah. the statistics showed that, that what, he, what Paul George was saying wasn't true. Like when I saw that, I thought to myself, oh gosh, just take accountability. Like, Or, or last year was a building year. That was such a cop out. Like th- right. that's the kind of stuff, like if he just never said those kinds of things, I think he'd be such a sympathetic figure. Like, you know, he was in a small market. They kind of did him a little bit dirty and weren't going to spend money to like put a good team around. Like, I think people would more openly root for for him than they do now if he just like didn't make a few of those comments at the times he made them. 
You know what he reminds me of? It, he reminds me of, of of John Wall in a lot of ways because yeah. Wall would make like Wall's. Yeah. Uh, it's like his. It's like what you liked about him was also what people didn't like about him. So it was like yeah. he said he spoke what was on his mind, and like the media really liked that about him, and and certain people liked that about. Well, he would just say what was on his mind. But part of being a leader of a team is you can't always say what's on your mind. You literally have to give the PC answer a lot of the time because your teammates might feel a certain way about it, or your peers might feel a certain way about it. But Wall would say like, oh, yeah, we had a team meeting and not everyone was cool with what was said, but, you know, whatever. And then it's like, well, what teammates were that? And it was clearly like Otto and some of these guys that were like weren't feeling it. And you could see that. And I think with Paul George, it's it's similar to that because he's he says whatever is on his mind or he says he's kind of like open with his feelings about things and then it's it it works to his detriment because it's like you know do i think that paul george really believed that doc rivers misused him i think he probably does really believe that i do too but it seemed, it seemed genuine come like it, it it really didn't seem cuz i know i know some people are like oh he's just bsing or whatever i'm like well i do i think that paul george believes it's true i do is it actually true? No, but those are two different things. So his truth might not be the truth. And so I think that people, you know, kind of need to realize that in one, on one aspect, but the other aspect, if you're Paul George, the PC answer there would have been like, look, we all made mistakes. Doc made mistakes. I made work, mistakes. You know? Kawhi made mistakes. Yeah. Lou Will made mistakes. Montrez made mistakes. We all made mistakes. You know, I wish Montrez the best. I wish Doc the best. Yeah. But I'm focused on getting the clips and being a better version of me so we can win the championship next year. Sure. And people would have been like, oh, that's a perfect answer. Like, mm -hmm. you took responsibility. You're saying it, it's my fault. And it's worth, we were a team. We all messed up. Okay, cool. But he doesn't give that answer. And you're just kind of like, oh, gosh, bro. Like, and even I, you know, as someone that's a fan of him, I, I there's there's times where I'm just like oh, I wish you wouldn't say like some of this stuff, but I do think that the slander it just the in you know the social media it's really like, extreme man. it just it gets so toxic, extreme yeah. and so when he told me like uh, or not told me when when I heard that he was uh in a dark when he said he was in a dark place you know at first I thought oh you know that's kind of convenient that you're saying this and you've been playing well this and that but then I thought about like at the end of the day it's like. What do we do? We get on Twitter to see what's going on. He's a human being. He probably does the same thing. Right or wrong, a lot of guys black social media out, whatever. But a lot of these guys are on social media halftime or they're on social media um, right after the game. Or, you know, if you're sitting in, in a, you're in a bubble, you're not around your family and you go on Twitter, you had a bad game. You know you had a bad game. You're probably pissed off about it. You're probably ashamed of how poorly you played, right? And you get on Twitter and People are calling you soft, out your name, pandemic P, way off P. I was just at a point I just felt sympathy for him because I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, like that has to really suck. Like, you know, and uh, whether you do it to your he's done it to himself on a level or not, it would be like it was like Wall deserved criticism, too, at times. But it got to the point where Wall was just he was like just the, the punchline of every joke. Like and I'm like. At some point, these are human beings where like, yeah. you know, you, you know, it's one thing if you and I are on a phone call and we we make a joke about Paul Joy, but you guys are putting it on social media for him to tagging him in it and yeah. like trying to like tear him down. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, and I'm just kind of, you know, sometimes I just think that culture of like the super slander just gets a little bit too far. If someone says something stupid, like if Kyrie says the earth is flat or he's saying that Steve you Nash is a good laugh about it. Yeah. yeah. If Steve, Oh, well, we're all the coaches, you know, not, you know, whatever those stupid lines he says, like, I'll be the first one to be like, what is he talking about? Like, that's dumb. 
but I'm not going to get on the internet and be like, oh, Kyrie's a, a flaming imbecile. Like, yeah. you know, I think we just take it too far these days as a society with how we treat these guys. And it'll be like after a good – Paul George had a good game earlier in the season and Pandemic P was trending. <laughs> like, God, like, you can't win, bro. Like, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to this just doing the show with Larry because I've asked a couple times, like, how messed up is the shit you hear from people? And he's like, dude, you – you wouldn't want to hear it. Like it's just things you wouldn't, you would never think to say to another person, you know, like out loud. And and I, I don't ever condone that ever. I, I'm just talking strictly about like being critical of his play. Sure. And, sure. and I would actually feel badly for him and how harshly, like I, nobody wants to go out and underperform with like, you know, every, all eyes on you as your, you know, championship aspirations. The only reason the play, being critical of the play wasn't sympathetic to me was if you just did the same thing to Lillard on social media. Right. You then can't, to me, you just can't, you're just not that sympathetic when people do that to you. Uh, The, you know, the, the, uh, you know, insert derogatory five letter word P uh, nicknames, like that stuff's just never okay. Like it just, I mean, be funny. Like I would just, if you're going to be like negative, at least be like funny about it. You know, right. like there are plenty of jokes you could make that, that aren't like crossing a line. I don't know. Yeah. And and then you like, you have like Shannon Sharp was on TV and he was calling him playoff P, but like P E E. Yeah. And I was just kind of uh, like, okay, but you're on TV and you're Shannon Sharp. Like I get that you're trying to make a joke and you know, him and him and Skip have the whole thing where Skip like supports the Clippers and he supports the Lakers. But I'm like, Okay, but you actually like these clips go viral and you're making me like a joke about it's just sometimes I'm just like, let's use a little bit more decency. If you want to say a nice human being. Yeah, like if you want to make a joke, okay. But some of the the slander I think for Paul George just gets a little bit too like there's like vitriol in it. And I'll even say, like, what did Paul George do to you guys that you're like this? mad about it where you're tra- like every time he has a bad game it's like they're just waiting to pounce it's like the sharks are they smell blood and they're circling and as soon as he has a game like where they lost by 50 and they didn't have Kawhi and look it was just a terrible game I mean I was gonna say it happens but it's not that teams lose by 50 it's like teams have games where they come out and get in and look disinterested and they get down by 20 early and it's a game that's an early game and they're like all right well we're down 20 like it is what it is like Kawhi's not playing like, and they don't play much with much effort and they lose by 50. And it's like, people are making all these jokes. I'm like, it's one loss. Like they're, they have the second best record in the West. They're fine. Like it's fine, you know? But uh, anyway, I, I wanted to get your opi- uh, uh, opinion on. Uh, you just proved that you're a decent human being, by the way. Most people that are on Twitter are not decent human beings. I think, I think that's largely the difference. People say the craziest things. I mean, like, you know, for a living, I cover youth football and like, I do like player rankings and stuff and the things every now and then that like people will say to me, like in my DMS about like, if I don't rank a, their, their kid a certain spot or like whatever you'll, and I'm just like, okay, you can be frustrated about, okay, maybe your kid wasn't, wasn't ranked where you thought he should be or whatever, but to call me out my name or whatever, I'm just like, I'm a nice guy. Like there's no reason if you no. came to me, you know, nice about it, I probably would give you my reasoning or, you know, if I mess up, I'll tell you I messed up or whatever, but calling me out my name and all that, I just never understand that, you know, and I can take a good joke, but it, it's just, sometimes it's just like, 
let's chill on the name calling and the and the crazy nicknames. Let's remember that some of these guys are literally human. I mean, they're all some of these guys are human beings. They're all human beings, but some of these guys are like just normal people to it. Yeah. like you and me. Yeah. Uh let's move on. Matt, I asked you to to think of one team that's impressed you so far. Uh, I want to get that team from you. First, I'm going to tell you mine. My team is the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have been, uh, we look, we knew when they got Chris Paul, they'd be good. But I think I didn't expect them to be, well, one, I expected them to be like around five and two. So that's not a surprise. But I didn't expect guys like Macau um, Bridges, I believe is how you say it. Yeah. Michael, Macau, whatever, mm-hmm. however you say it, Bridges. He's been phenomenal for them on both sides of the ball as like a glue guy, a do-it-all defender. They have guys like Cam Johnson coming off the bench who's giving them good play. Jay Crowder has fit in with them as that small ball four. And Chris Paul, who's not even playing heavy minutes, he's playing like 28 minutes a night. He's just been that perfect leader on the court for them, the organizer. And Devin Booker is not even playing that well for like Devin Booker standards and they're five and two uh and Aiton to me is only averaging like 13 and seven like he hasn't been great and they're still five and two and I think that they're just going to get better as they all get used to each other that's a team that it wouldn't surprise me if they were a top four seed in the west come playoff time to be honest at this point yeah I mean I think that's sort of the answer that should be the answer to league wide I think uh it's probably the one I would have said just in you know, if, if you hadn't gone first there, and I will think of a different one. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the guys aren't putting up huge, certain guys aren't putting up huge numbers. And I don't even think that means that they're not playing well, but they're like playing the role that the team needs for them. Like, I actually think the games I've watched, which has been like two and a half, uh, Aiden's been really solid because he's, he's just like, he's banging, he's like yeah. getting putbacks. Like, it's a really pe- big body, man. Like, he's the a pieces big dude. fit. Those pieces fit. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's, if you have guys that sort of make sense in context and you have like competent, like 10 competent adults, uh, you, you're going to win a good amount, at least regular season games in the NBA. So uh, that, that should be the answer. Uh, they're, they're fun watch. And I, I don't know like how well they'll, how deep of a playoff run they'll go. I see them being sort of similar, like maybe like the thunder last year, like, you know, it's Chris Paul, it's kind of lazy comp, but just like, the plucky upstart and it might take them another year or two to get to that point. Maybe they make another trade somewhere along the way, but uh, you know, you probably need uh, Booker and Aiden to get a little playoff experience first before you make like a real run. But uh, yeah, that's just, they're fun to watch too. Like I would be really excited if I were a Suns fan right now. You know, what's interesting is like they drafted that Jalen Smith kid and I, and I, you know, whether he's going to be good, I think he's been a little hit or miss so far, like, but he's a rookie. So they're, you know, that's fine. But I, I, you know, I watch them and I think, what if they drafted someone else here? Like a guy that fit better with yeah. like a guy that's not going to play 20 minutes a night. Like he's not going to play that much with Aiton. So, or like, you know, with Aiton being on the roster and he's definitely not going to play much next to Aiton himself. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think, well, I look at them and I'm like, yeah, you know, he probably will be a, a solid backup big for them that can, you know, rim run and maybe knock down some shots or whatever. But uh, you know, I look like, well, maybe, you know, if they picked a, a different guy, like a wing or someone that could fit, like if they had picked a pick Sadiq Bay or someone else that could kind of fit better with like the skill, you know, I don't know, like fit better with Aiton and Booker in terms of actually playing on the court with them, that that's the route I would have taken. But, you know, it remains to be seen how good Jalen Smith is going to be. Yeah, that was a long-term bet, I think, of, of just, you know, he's our eventual backup big and, and maybe you can play him a few minutes together. But Hard worker, good kid, not going to rock the boat. So if they weren't going to have a lot of minutes for that person this year anyway, 
um, he's probably somebody that's going to be most okay with sort of, you know, uh, kind of earning his spot longer term. Yeah. And, you know, I, people have been critical of uh, James Jones, the GM, and, but I, you know, he's, he's really done a pretty good. Yeah. yeah. He's done a pretty good job. Like, I, yeah. you know, I didn't know much about the Cam Johnson pick, but when they picked him, I know a lot of people are like, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. And whether that's a home run pick, I don't know, but he seems to be fitting pretty well. He's like a guy that you, I, you know, what I think sometimes he's a guy, you know what you're going to get, like, he's yeah. going to play hard. He's going to knock down shots and he maybe doesn't have the highest ceiling, but he's a guy that's, that's going to come in. He's probably going to have like a 10 year career in the league and he's going to do what you need him to do, especially alongside uh, Booker and Aiton. And, you know, so I, I like what they've done. I think getting Chris Paul, even if he's not going to be the guy he was last year in Oklahoma city, um, he's a guy that is going to teach them how to win games and he can close for you. So I think he's just having that type of, uh, he gives them a swagger, like, a, you know, a way of, of just carrying themselves on the court. Like they expect to win night tonight now. And I think before they were used to losing, but now they have a winner on the, uh, you know, a, a guy that maybe hasn't won a championship, but everyone respects Chris Paul as a winner in the NBA. And I think having that guy on your team if you're a guy like Devin Booker, you're a guy like DeAndre Ayton, it goes a long way towards making you feel like you're supposed to be winning every night. Yeah, I think body language helps. And, and like you said, just sort of giving them that that confidence. This is something that I, I'm like, this is a hill I'll die on here. The way the NBA is now and how much roster turnover there is, I would actually be looking for older guys unless I was like, Cleveland or somebody that you know needed to hit like home run yeah. picks and had years to wait or you know pick pick the four the Knicks maybe let's say like um should have been Charlotte I don't really totally get what they're doing but <laughs> if, if I'm a if I'm a team that has aspirations of being competitive I'm looking for a guy that's 21 now it's also um to your advantage if that guy is is ready to contribute but also still has some upside left to tap like the Cam Johnson pick, I, I didn't mind it at the time because they filled a very obvious need with a guy who was going to come in and, and be credible. Will he be much better five years from now than he is now? Probably not. Um, he'll, he'll be like more solid at the things he's already good at. But, uh, you know, if they took someone super raw with that pick last year and four years later, by the time he develops, they've got to decide whether or not to take the option or, or to, you know, extend him like, it just i don't know most of these guys they they end up leaving after the first contract anyway so i don't think it's a dumb move and and for them i think that's kind of being ahead of the curve yeah and, it, and it's worked out well so far uh well it sounded like you were going to say the suns anyway so let's move on uh i'll let you i asked you to also pick one player that's impressed you so far so I'll let, let's give me that player and we'll go from there i'm gonna go two if that's all right uh it's the cleveland cavaliers backcourt Okay. Um, wow. That is, hold on. That is not what I was expecting, but yeah, it's a right. great one. So please go ahead. I'm excited I, about this. I thought that was um, uh, less of just like an obvious pick, but I kind of, be honest, I, I usually am like the, let's be patient before we decide about a guy. Like that's usually my, that's my move. But I had pretty much written Colin Sexton off as being like a winning NBA player. Oh, you're, um, I mean, you're with a lot, a lot of people, including me, didn't think he was that good. Garland looks noticeably better, which I, I was okay with like Garland not looking good last year and like his first year, but I'm like, okay, like Sexton reminded me of sort of like prime Reggie Jackson or like, you know, like, like maybe comparison. best case scenario is like a, 
like a Bledsoe kind of guy, like relies a lot on their physical tools, not really a great creator for others, not like a knockdown shooter. Does that really win in the NBA anymore? Uh, but but he's sort of refined his game across the board, and and I didn't think those guys would play great together, but they've staggered them a little bit, and like it's it just they've been noticeably better. So I, I think they're the poster child for like these guys. If you give them opportunities and and the right situation, uh, it just you know you shouldn't you shouldn't write them off right away. Yeah, I, I actually really like that you um I'm I'm a little disappointed that you didn't mention their nickname Sexland, which is like actually like really hilarious that that's some something someone thought of and now because I did I didn't know that I would have if I did that's really awesome. Whoa, you didn't know? Okay, that makes it even better. So yeah, their so nickname has been like a thing at like lately too. That's I heard so it last good. year, but I didn't think it was gonna stick. So Sexland is the nickname for the backcourt and. That's a thing. So uh, now you know. Now the audience knows. Uh, I'm even more of a fan. I wish <laughs> Colin I Sexton and Darius Garland, aka Sexland. Um, but no, they've been they've been really good. Um, and one thing about Colin Sexton that is funny, and I only know this from playing fantasy basketball. So you know, I'm not gonna lie. I don't keep up with Cleveland. I don't really watch much Cleveland Cavaliers. Like I watch a lot of teams, but I can honestly say that is probably the team I've watched the least. Okay. Like I might watch one full game of them. I, you know, I, I don't like, I don't usually like watching them, so I don't watch them, but I, I would know from fantasy because Colin Sexton was always on my fantasy waiver wire. Like he would always be someone, someone would stream in for a game and then they cut him. And then I wondered why for a while, cause I never would think of, I don't pick up Cavalier players cause they're just not good. So I would look at his stats and it would be 18 points, one assist and one rebound every game. It'd be Five like turnovers. double digit points. And sometimes it'd be efficient. Sometimes it wouldn't be. Always doubled. He was consistent with that one thing, but he literally contributed nothing else. And you'd be like, wait, how did he not, how did he have the ball enough to score 20 points, but not get any more than one assist? And he didn't get more than one rebound, no steals, no blocks. It, it would just be points. It was just really two, funny. Two of six from three and five of eight from the free throw line and just yeah. like not very efficient. It, it, he was, it was just really funny to me. And so to see this year, he seems to, one, he's scoring more efficiently. And two, he's still not going to add a lot in those other categories because he's definitely a score first player. But it seemed like he's at least trying to do more than just score a little bit. And I think that if he can score more efficiently and then do a little bit more, that that would go a long way towards making him a good player. I probably, you know, I think I look at him and I think realistically, he's probably a really good six man um, at in his best role. And that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that role. Like there's a lot of players that are really important that are those guys that are just really good six men. But uh, I've been really impressed. I, I like Garland a lot though. I'm higher on him. I think that he can be a guy that is, he's a score first point guard as well. But uh, he can be a guy that can create and he can do a few things and he can shoot and he's been really good. And he's a reason to tune into some of them. I mean, him, Colin Sexton too, they're, they, they're playing well. And, and Larry Nance is playing well along with them. Loves hurt again. But um, I think they're an exciting backcourt. And if I'm a Cleveland fan, I think that the team's going to come a little bit back down to earth from like a pretty good start. Like I think they're, they're going to be bad all year. Like, let's be real. But yeah. it, it they've they've both improved more than I expected them. To. Oh, 100 percent. And like Drummond has looked pretty good, too. And mm -hmm. I think he's actually trying on defense. I know he had said before the year he wanted to win defensive player of the year. So that's that's not going to happen, but that's, it, you know, if he's trying on defense to Same me, right things. yeah. yeah if, like in their defense is, is actually like one of the better defenses right now. Like they're not the top 15. So one of, has had some flashes, like 
Yeah. So, you know, they're exciting. That's a, that's a fun uh, young backcourt. Um, the player I had was a player we already kind of had mentioned was Jalen Brown. Uh, he's just, he's just a guy that like, I, I think that his growth is a testament to one, just like believing in a player. Like they, I remember when he got picked, I think at number three overall in 2017, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he, that was a like kind of criticized pick. Like, you know, a lot of people sure. said that, he, you know, he's not going to be worth that pick. He doesn't have a great feel, this and that. He doesn't have a great shot. And he's just gotten better every year. It's a steady increase every single year. Last year, I argued that he should have been an all-star. I thought that he mm-hmm. was at one point, no, Tatum kind of took it all, took off a little bit over him a little bit last year. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, so that's fine. But at one point, I, I thought that he was more deserving than Tatum. And I like Tatum a lot too, but I, I just think that he's played so well. I was watching the, they played the Raptors last night. And he just has such confidence now. Like, it's amazing. His confidence in his shot. He's shooting 57% from the field and 42% from three. And he's averaging 27 points, four rebounds, three assists, and uh, over a steal and a half per game. Like, he's really just doing everything. And he's a really good defender. So, look, he's not going to average 27 points for the season. I would, I seriously doubt it. But, 22 seems realistic. Yeah, I think he, I was going to say, I think he's going to settle in around 24 because, you know, if Kimba comes back, that's going to take some of his shots away. But I mean, to be honest, I had the Celtics as a team that I really thought was being a little overrated. Some people had them as like the second seed in the East. And I was thinking, well, without Kimba, like, how are they going to, that's a lot on Tatum and Brown to create. And as big of a a fan of Brown as I am, I didn't anticipate this leap. I thought he'd get a little bit better, but to me, this is like a big, a big step forward. And so um, I'm, I'm just happy for him. He's a, he's a great young player and he's a guy I I wouldn't trade for a, at one point I was hoping like, okay, well, if it comes time to trade Beal, you know, Tatum and Beal are tight. So maybe that's a trade that makes sense. But if I'm Boston now, the gap between Brown and Beal isn't as big as it was a year ago. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And their team where I didn't think their regular season would be as great, like you said, as some people thought, but I, I think they'll make a lot of noise come playoff time because I think that that loss had to teach them a lot. I, I think they're, to me, they were the better team uh, than than Miami. It just sort of, they did some really dumb stuff and uh, it, it just sort of didn't work out. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's taken a bigger leap than I thought he would. And I think he's the reason why interviews and background checks and all those things going into the draft are so important. I get why the Wizards have doubled down on like the we've got to get good character guys because because people like Brown, but you also have to have like good character guys that also have a lot of talent and untapped potential. <laughs> right, right. But um, he's just like a really good dude. And, yeah. And, and smart. You talk to him. He, yeah, he's really smart and like. I don't know. People get docked sometimes for having like interests outside of basketball. Like I actually like that. Well, um, basketball can't be everything. I know people get caught up in like, you need to live and breathe basketball, but just like anything in life, there has to be balance. But just like, you know, he's like apparently like very like musically talented. Like if you're just like a skilled person, like I, I feel like it also shows you're creative, like that's sure. good on the basketball court. So you have an aptitude to learn other things. Uh, yeah. I, I would be, it would, it would be very surprising to me if they traded him anytime in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's exciting. And I look forward to see kind of how him and Tatum can take that team. Um, 
you know, take that team this year. And honestly, like, I think it's been fun watching them without Kimba. I like Kimba a lot, so this isn't a knock on Kimba, but I think it's been fun seeing them get a chance to really, you know, because for years you've heard like, oh, they have Brown and Tatum and like, that's the future. And well, the future's kind of here and we we're getting a chance to really see them as like the full focal points of, uh, of the offense and, and of the team. And Tatum had 40 last night and I think Brown had a quieter night, but um, so yeah, it's going to be fun watching Jalen Brown go forward. Matt, I have uh, the last thing I want to do before we wrap up. I have some mailbag questions um, to, to everyone listening to this podcast. You have questions you want. I'm adding a mailbag segment. segment. So if you have questions you want answered, hoopinwithrow at Gmail. Um, so I have a few to start. Um, please tell me that you are aware of the Marvin Bagley saga. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So the question here is, what should the Kings do with Marvin Bagley? The floor is yours, sir. Uh, they got to get rid of a big somewhere. Um, I got crushed uh, locally for, for being pro Hassan Whiteside this off season. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but the Whiteside Rashawn Holmes Bagley thing, you only need two of those guys. I, I loved watching Bagley at Duke. Like I actually DVR, like I had Duke, every Duke game recorded on DVR while he was there, just cause I enjoyed watching him dominate people. It just, I don't know his style of play is ever going to translate towards like a ton of wins at the NBA level. Like he's not really a center, but he doesn't really have enough range or touch uh, to be like a stretch option. And he's not great defensively. So like, what does he really do for you? And, and you know, but I, I wouldn't trade him right now just because the value is probably low for a guy that's a former number two overall pick. So I would feature him as much as I can, try to raise his value and then sort of see where I'm at until he's saying something like, and that's probably the other difference here is if he's going to them, but it's not the first time we've seen some players, crazy dad tweet something stupid. So I, I don't know. Right. And for, for clarity, the context here is Marvin Bagley's dad tweeted during a game that, you know, to the Kings to trade to trade Marvin Bagley um, away from the Kings. And then Darren Fox's dad said, yeah, trade him, which is actually really funny. <laughs> and then, uh, you know what I thought was most funny about that whole thing is Darren Fox's dad's name is Aaron Fox. Uh -huh. So his son's is, name is literally like what of Aaron <laughs> yeah, Fox. Of Aaron, yeah. <laughs> like that was really funny to me when I found that out. Like I was actually really laughing about that, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so here's where I am with the Marvin Bagley thing. Marvin Bagley's playing like trash right now. So for him to come out and say, trade my son, essentially, cause you're not using him properly is kind of laughable at the timing of it. Uh, Bagley has been hurt a lot. And then he had COVID before the season started and he's trying to work himself back into being a playable player right now. And they're starting him when honestly their most effective lineup is Barnes at the four and hit with him off the floor. Yeah. So I think that it's kind of like they were better with Bielitsa for a lot of the year last year too. Right. And so here's, here's where I'm at with, with Marvin Bagley. I think he's very talented. I think that he's struggling right now. I think he really reminds me of kind of the conundrum that can be Julius Randall at times. Mm -hmm. And while they're not, their games aren't exactly similar. And that's not what I mean to me. They're both power forwards that sometimes lack feel and they're both talented offensively that they can get you buckets they can do different things but 
it's a tough way. It's tough to place them in a winning spot. Like, okay, you know, how can we really put it, put together, let's say a 50 win team with Marvin Bagley play, playing high minutes. Like how do you form a winning team around Julius Randle? It's not to say Julius Randle's a bad player. It's not to say he sucks or he, this, he has flaws. Bagley has flaws. The flaws are hard to cover up because of their skill set. So it's, they're not great shooters, but they're also not good rim protectors. So it's, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird spot to be in, but Randall is just way more productive. So you can live with some of it. Um, I think Bagley just needs to be better. Like quite frankly, if you want to be traded down the line, you have to play better. You have no value right now. So it, it's just a matter to me, they're playing you 25 minutes a night. You're not even playing like you deserve those 25 minutes. So you just need to focus on playing, man, and, and and hopefully it'll work out for you in the future. But I honestly think that he might be better off right now coming off the bench and playing against second units more than he's playing against yeah, first units. I agree. Because I've watched a, a few Kings games this year, and he gets the ball, and he looks so undecisive. And then when he – like he had a play where he caught the ball in the post. He waves off Buddy Heald, like who's spotting up near him for a kickout to do an ISO. He turned, I don't know who was, who, who was guarding him, but he turns and the guy just smacks the ball at his hand immediately and, and goes down the court and gets a bucket. And there's a couple plays like that where he gets the ball and he makes a weird move and turns it over. And you're just kind of like, you're thinking too much. You're not just going. Like, you know, I was saying with Rui, he got the ball, and he would just go. It was like, you could see he's not in the flow of the game. It's like, he's thinking too much. He's trying to make things work. And at one point, his rookie year, he was playing well. Like, he was putting up like 18 and eight and he was looking good and, you know, whether it was translating to wins, I don't know, but I think there's a good player in there. Is a good player a starter? Probably not. But is that player a, a a guy that can get you 15 and seven off the bench? Like, I think that guy is in there. I don't know if he's going to be the number two overall pick, but, you know, I think that guy can be there. But I think that he just needs to kind of accept that the role he has right now he doesn't deserve to close lineups. I think that's why his dad was upset was because he didn't close that fourth quarter of the game, whatever game it was a couple nights ago. And they, they think they closed with the Barnes at the four Holmes at the five, he, you know, felt like his son should have been in there, but it's like, your son's not playing that well, sir. This is like multiple years now though, where our Luke Walton team has really struggled with what their roles are. Like to me, Buddy Heald is a really good player and that they couldn't figure out how to put him next to Bogdanovich and, you know, they basically went all in on Bogdanovich and put Heald on the bench that he hated, but then didn't keep Bogdanovich. Like, now is it, it just, I don't know. So, like, if you're Bagley, I think part of the frustration is just like, all right, what is my role? Um, and so, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold on the Luke Walton as good NBA coach experiment so far. Yeah, me neither. And the Kings, to me, like, everyone – on their team just looks okay this year like De'Aaron Fox I thought was going to take a leap and he's looked okay Buddy Heald I mean you know you know what you're going to get from Buddy Heald he's going to give you four threes a game mm -hmm. and not much else like he if he was your fourth starter though like you'd be a really good team oh for sure you know but if he's your second you know arguably your second best player you're not going anywhere and and that's the problem I like Holmes I think he's a good mm -hmm. young big but I think that they're asking him to do a little more than like what he really should be doing ideally uh so they're a team that you know, I think they could be pretty good at times, but most of the time, you know, they're just okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't surprise me at the end of the year if they're one of 
they fall back to the end of the pack and end up being one of the worst Western Conference teams again. Honestly, though, this to me is the year, though, that, like, I wouldn't mind being, you know, I was listening to this podcast and they were saying that, like, John Morant's injury could be a blessing in disguise with the, yeah. with the Grizzlies. I don't disagree. Because, you know, it's like, well, you guys have, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and obviously Ja is like a, a, like a you know, potentially a top 10 player at some mm-hmm. point. And those are hard to find. Like those two guys, you got a guy that's probably like, can be a top 40 guy and a guy that's a, that's a top, potentially a top 10 guy. Yeah. Like arguably, like, you know, at some point will be, not right now, sure. but can project to that. If you add one more guy in a top five guy this year to that core, like you actually really have a lot, a lot going for you. So And role players around them already. Yeah. Yeah, Memphis is a fun team, even without uh, like JJJ playing when Ja was playing. They're like just a really fun team t- to yep. watch. Uh, so another mailbag question I have for you is: So the Sixers have the best record in the league. Is that sustainable going forward? And do we view them as a real contender now? Uh, this this is a team I I thought would make a big jump. I I didn't think they would end up being better than Milwaukee over the course of the regular season, but I, I thought they were kind of like a slam dunk, at least top four team in the East. Uh, the roster makes a lot more sense. If anybody's going to get Embiid into like care all season, I, I think it's Doc. He'll use them in sort of creative ways. Yeah, I think he can. I actually think like the Seth Curry pick, even if he doesn't put up big numbers, is, it makes sense for them because he has mm-hmm. gravity as a shooter. Yeah. So, I, you know, I still think they probably do something else to that roster, but Harris had his best season under Doc in LA. So, like, I, I buy it as being for real. The question is with those guys is, is always, can they stay healthy for a full season? Yeah. Tobias Harris, man, he's, he's looked really good. And a lot of it looks sustainable. I've watched a few mm-hmm. of their games and look, he's not going to be like player of the week all, you know, that level right. all the time. So that's not what I mean, but uh, he looks like a guy that can average, you know, 18 to 20 points and he's going to give you eight rebounds. But what I noticed is he looks like he's not thinking as much and he's playing more freer at the four and it's it was something that i i thought you know like well, why are they trying to move him to three you know i i thought the al horford experiment was going to work better just off sheer sheer talent like i thought okay well these guys are all talented high iq guys like they'll find a way to make it work and what was proven to be and i thought they'd stagger minutes better than they end up doing that's a whole nother story but tobias looks a lot more free playing at the four than he does at the three it's just amazing how much having space allows all these guys to operate so much better. And I, I think that, you know, I didn't know where exactly I felt like they were going to be. I kind of felt like they were going to be between the two and the, the two and the five seed range. I think that it, it wouldn't surprise me if they finished at the top, but it also yeah. wouldn't surprise me if they were around the five seed either. I, I, I look at their roster. So, so two things, one Embiid's look good to start the year. But one thing I noticed about Embiid that I, that I always wonder is one, how in shape is he? And two, he doesn't seem to do to dominate in the post like with his physicality anymore like it's very how do i say this like it's like he shoots a lot of jumpers and i wonder okay but when that jumper maybe isn't falling are you still willing to go down there and bang as much as you might need to in certain instances and i haven't seen as much of that this year as i thought i was gonna see and he's still look he's playing great he's putting up good numbers it's not a to say he's playing bad or anything like that. But I just, I've noticed that it seems a lot more finesse than I'm used to seeing him. A lot of jump shots. Now he's physical in terms of rebounding, but in terms of the offense, he seems to be shooting a lot of jumpers. So I, I want to see him kind of get more into that. Give me the ball in the post and I'm going to dominate like through my, with my physicality. Cause in playoffs, I think that that's the version of him that they're going to need. Sure. 
he claims that that's what they've at least in past seasons had asked him to do in order to you know to make up for what simmons doesn't do um like sure. they needed somebody on the team that would shoot and it wasn't even just that he'd shoot a great percentage but at least he'd be willing to so he always talked about like by shooting he was sacrificing and he, he didn't seem shy about bully balling thomas bryant down the stretch so <laughs> i think to your point at least if he does it situationally yeah um you know hopefully that's enough for them yeah and so they're exciting like ben simmons has looked pretty good i think that it would really help if he would shoot a three or two a game yeah. even if he's not like making them just to keep the defense honest but honestly like he's been just playing downhill and he's mm -hmm. doing what he normally does great defense he's contributing like rebounds assists points and and uh every, you know they need a bench player that that's the one other thing i was gonna say that's my second point they need another guy off the bench i think uh the, the tyrese maxi kid looks pretty good but he's not gonna be reliable i don't think in the playoffs. shake milton is, is fine mike scott is hit or miss yeah. dwight howard's fine they need one more guy to me like i don't know what level of a guy but some guy that you can reliably like add to your eight man rotation come playoff time and they could probably find that guy in like the buyout market or something like that later on but to me it's I, I don't know who the guy is but i would like to see them get one more guy that you can rely on come playoff time and maury's been good at finding those kind of guys you know the uh, the houses the gerald greens like those kind of dudes didn't J I think Gerald Green got cut from the from he the, did. the right yeah. that honestly wouldn't be a bad fit in Philly off the bench like someone uh, that could actually come in with confidence and yeah. shoot like that I don't know why he got cut from the Rockets because he actually played well in the, in the couple preseason games I saw so you know I don't know that might be an interesting guy that they could look at as well um well the last question I have here is uh what is your uh, impression of the rookies been so far is there a rookie that you've been most impressed with i've been surprised with the overall production from rookies considering they haven't had like a real summer league or no summer league but like a real camp and all that in preseason what do you think what's your been your impression so far the rookies i want to be on record about this and i have receipts to back it up that i was really early on the no stars but a lot of role players and that's <laughs> sort of what i've seen so far it's just yeah nobody that i've watched from like holy shit that guy's gonna be amazing but uh yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of good dudes. Um, I've been impressed, though, with how well they played with, like, not a lot of time. Like, a lot of them, yeah. too. Like, a good amount. I've been like, oh, okay. Like, have you seen Peyton Pritchard that plays for the Celtics? I, I just got into a Twitter war with someone today, which it was embarrassing to admit. But uh, because I made fun of it, the fact that Bill Simmons listed him as one of his four best rookies. Like, you can actually make that argument. It's just funny to me that the Celtics guy – is the one saying that Peyton Pritchard is the top four uh, <laughs> yeah. rookie, which that this person couldn't seem to understand. Apparently, uh, maybe he was related to Peyton Pritchard or his burner account. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> he, yeah, he's been good. I mean, he's ballsy as shit. Like he'll shoot from anywhere. Like he's just or to play a role. Um, and, and they kind of needed a guy like that. I think that could come in and and you know create a little, but shoot a little. So yeah, it's just. Uh, this is an interesting year. Halliburton is the one, like I didn't buy the jump shot working and maybe eventually people will start to figure out that it's like a heave from his chest. LaMelo Ball is making almost like 36% of his threes, again, on low attempts. Uh, he's shooting like almost as bad from the field as he has the three-point line, which is not great, but um, the, the perimeter shot has looked a little better. He does some special stuff. Uh, Wiseman has a lot of talent like I, this is there's a lot of guys patrick williams i thought looked solid against the wizards so yeah 
there's a lot of dudes here where I think you can projectably say like at the very least we have like a good long term contributor. But the quicklies, even Obi Toppins looked a little rough, but he's still averaging like nine and three or something like that. I want to say so. Like, you know, I, I think these guys got solid players, probably fifteen twenty deep this year. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I honestly thought a lot of the rookies would really struggle, and and you know the rookie here, Danny Advia, has, has looked has looked really good, has a good feel. I was surprised by that. Not not that you know I assumed he was going to be bad, but I just didn't expect him to look like so comfortable. And I I watched Kings Halliburton's looked really comfortable. I mean, a lot of the rookies have looked really comfortable out there, and uh, I think that when you know you mentioned Lamelo Ball, I knew that. You know, he was my top guy. I've been on record about that. Like he was my number one guy. And so this isn't just confirmation bias, but I've honestly thought that like he's had a noticeable impact on the Hornets when he's on the floor compared to Rozier and Graham, like running the show. And Graham has really struggled this year. So I think maybe that has magnified how much better like ball has been than him. But to me, I think the thing is that uh, balls competed on defense better than people. And and I kind of felt like that was going to happen because that's what happened with Lonzo. It was like, oh, Lonzo's going to be a bad defender. And he came in the league and and he had the size and the tools, but he just didn't use it bef- as much before. And then he came in the league and, you know, is a plus defender. At, you know, And I'm not saying LaMelo is him. I'm just saying that he had the body for to, the body to be a, a decent defender and it, he just didn't try. And I was like, well, if he tries, he'll be okay. I think, you know, and he's been, uh, uh, you know, not a great defender, but he's been uh, he's okay. Some effort. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's been nice to see. And a guy that, you know, when I, I, I watched him a couple of times, I haven't liked what I've seen for Anthony Edwards. I, I, you know, and it's not, I don't want to bash him because it's early. He can score. Like he can get to the rim and score. But I just don't see anything else. Like I literally don't see anything else that I would make me. Ex- Let me tell you really quick. I want to. I want to say this on the podcast. If the Timberwolves were serious about building a team, I'm a big D'Angelo Russell fan. But I don't know if if making a draft pick decision based off of him being your point guard makes any sense yeah. because they went and they got Rubio. So he's now playing off ball like half the time because they're playing him and Rubio together a lot. And he doesn't know what to do when he's like, like they, that fit doesn't work. But then you drafted Edwards because you didn't want him and LaMelo playing together. And it's like, so this is my opinion. You know, Edwards could very well end up being better. But in my opinion, you took a lesser player to fit with D'Lo when you like, it's just, it, it's like frustrating to watch. Cause I'm like, yeah, Edwards is fine. Like he, he'll be a fine score in the NBA, but to me, like when you watch LaMelo, you see like, okay, he's making Bridges better. He's making PJ Washington better and getting the ball to them in the right spot. It's like Edwards is like tunnel vision. I'm going to the rim. I'm trying to do a spin move and finish. And that's pretty much what I've seen. So or shoot a jumper or whatever. Um, I've, what's Russell's best skill? Just, just right off the top of your head. I said, D'Angelo Russell, what's the first thing you think of? I honestly don't even have, I, I, like I, I would, I, I would I say know. scoring, you know what yeah. I mean? Like in general, like that's his best contribution to a team and, and that's Edwards's thing. So even if you say ball doesn't make sense, they still were trying to play towns at the four and start him next to Wancho Hernan Gomez, which actually not as bad a player for people who are like, is that a real name? But so tell me why you couldn't have drafted Wiseman there either. Like the Edwards one made the least sense of the three, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I was watching them play a couple times and I was just like, you know, D'Lo looks like so like, I don't know, disinterested or or it just looked, it, it 
he didn't look like they were putting him in the spots that made him successful like mm-hmm. once upon a time when he was an all-star a few years ago or like you know you could our debate whether he was worthy of that all-star or not like he was a pretty good player that yeah, year no matter right which here. way you yeah. slice it and to me it's like what made him successful was a lot of pick and roll a lot of having the ball in his hands yeah. and if you're gonna play him off the ball wouldn't you rather it be with Lamelo Ball than Ricky Rubio? Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I just sometimes I'm like, some of this stuff makes no sense. Like you clearly drafted Edwards because you were worried about building around Cat and D'Lo, and I've heard like Nate Duncan say this: if you're building around D'Lo, you're probably not building a winning team. And I don't agree with everything Nate Duncan says, but I agree with that. Like, and I like D'Lo. Like I like watching yeah. D'Lo play like in the past years, but. I just don't know if you're building like a real contending or try like I don't that strategy is so flawed to me is, is what I'm trying to say. The Warriors didn't feel like they could win keeping Russell on their team as maybe their fourth best player. So Which now is, you think you're right. going to send him to Minnesota and you're going to win with him as your second best player. I just don't really get the math. Yeah, you know, I, I don't get it either. I think that I do think it was like not the best year to have the number one pick. Like I think right. I would much rather have been in Charlotte's shoes where it's like, okay, well, like we'll get, we'll get Wiseman or we'll get Lamelo. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're more, we're most likely going to get one of those two. Like those are the two guys I think they really liked was Lamelo and Wiseman. And yeah. maybe they would have just taken Edwards if he was the guy that fell, but we're probably going to get one of those guys. So whoever falls is the guy we're going to take. And then, you know, cause they need a center and they, and they needed a, a guy like Lamelo. So they couldn't go wrong and, and it ended up working out for them because to me, you know, Lamelo's going to take over that starting role in like the matter of, of maybe a month or weeks at this point because Graham's just not playing well and Rozier can play off the ball. So mm-hmm. that's happening. Um, but I think the rookie last has been fun. Uh, I really am, am a little worried about Edwards. I hope that that works out for Minnesota's sake because I haven't loved what I've seen despite like him averaging 15 points or whatever. Like, I just think that it feels very waitersy to me. And I don't want to be right, but I feel like that was my worry before the draft. And that's what it seems like. But I've been impressed with guys like Halliburton, who I know I was a little like, "Eh, I don't know, like with, and he's looked pretty good, but you know, who knows? Some of this stuff won't stick. Some rookies that look good now won't look good in a year. And some that don't look good, like Killian Hayes looks terrible. And he's getting last. Yeah. Ridiculed for looking like, like people, you know, I know Pistons fans are already calling him a bust. And I think that you got to remember this guy that played overseas and he's 19 and he's playing for a team that doesn't have that great of a roster. So I think you just got to give some of these guys time. Some of them are going to pop. Some of them aren't going to pop right away. You know, it took Mike Conley like four years to be, you know, a, like a, a starter level. And then he became like a borderline all-star level guy for years. So got to give these guys time. Um, but Matt, I'm going to get you out of here. Um, I want you to tell people where they can find the Believe in Wizards podcast and everything that you're working on at Blitz Forever and that type of thing. Uh, anywhere, anywhere you guys listen to podcasts, Believe, B-L-E-A-V. It's myself and, and former wizard and uh, 13-year NBA vet, Larry Hughes. So he says all the smart stuff. I save all my reasonable takes for this podcast when I join you and uh, on our show. I just <laughs> sort of let Larry say all the the uh, the good basketball stuff and, and just try to set him up. So uh yeah we just we try to break it down from a different perspective and and let him tell us what what he sees from from his experience and uh you know hopefully we're we're giving folks a little you know something a little different than than what they get everywhere else yeah i was listening to the most recent podcast you did just a few hours ago and you guys give a good perspective of like kind of what they should be doing the wizards should be doing or 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 in that type of thing but it's not the like homer perspective like you guys care about the team but you can also be critical so i think that's something that's definitely needed in especially in the wizards like 
pod universe you need people that can that can be critical but it's not like from a bad place like oh we suck like it's like you know hey like these are areas they need to focus on like and larry will frankly say like i don't understand what scott brooks is doing if that's the case and that's really uh refreshing to hear from someone of like his stature because sometimes these guys don't call it straight so it's nice and and he's got a nice balance of like doing it without killing somebody it's just like hey troy brown don't shoot floaters don't think so much it's you know, it's not Troy, you're a bum. It's just like, I can see what's going wrong because I've lived that. And I, I don't know why everybody else that that sort of former player crew can't seem to find that same balance. But anyway, I'm biased. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys have a, a significantly better balance than um, the broadcast crew for the, for the Wizards. So <laughs> we won't go into that. That's right, there you go. That's a, whole nother, uh, that's a whole nother topic. We won't go into that. But thank you, Matt, for joining the Hooping With Road podcast. Uh, it's always fun to have you on, man. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Thanks for having me.